This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak. We profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and meet Adam Stack. Today's guest is Matt Mitzkovich, co-founder of SitePoint.com, 99designs, and Flippa. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Matt Mitzkovich, founder of SitePoint, co-founder of Flippa and 99designs. He's here to tell his fun, fun story, which is actually about 10 or 11 years, maybe even 12 years long. Am I about right, Matt? That's right. And Matt, it's a, it's a, an honor to have you on the show. So let's let's kick it off with probably the the easiest way to start any show like this, which profiles someone like you, which is just to give me a few minutes of your history and some of the things you've done and where you got started. Sure. Basically, I started off in the internet space at a very young age when I was still in high school, around age 14, 15, back in 97, 98. Um, and the way it started is I was basically a bit of a geek and I developed a passion and interest in the internet and building websites. And I started doing all this research about HTML and search engine optimization and where should I host my website, how do I register a domain name, which HTML editor should I use, you know, so on and so forth. And basically I was finding I had to do a great deal of research and a great deal of legwork to find all the information that I needed. Um, there were very few resources available on the internet at the time, so I decided to basically start compiling everything I was learning into a web page called Webmaster Resources, which I launched on April 1st, 1998. And uh, my timing was impeccable. Everyone wanted to get on the bandwagon, learn how to start their own internet business, learn how to build a website, and Webmaster Resources quickly became one of the go-to places for this sort of information. The website got featured in USA Today, in LA Times, and Washington Post within weeks of launching. Um, before long, I had a column writing for Windows Magazine, which at the time had a million subscribers or some crazy number like that. <laughs> and uh, I still wasn't even allowed to drive a car at that point, but I was making more money than both my parents combined just through advertising sales on the website. Wow. that's So you're 14, 15. Uh, is that just starting out high school, I guess? Probably like ninth grade? Yep. Something like that. And so... I guess the, the first question I have is the simplest question, which is how has the internet changed since then? It's a lot more competitive. It's a lot harder. Um, back in 1999, there were 10 search engines. We used to be able to optimize for InfoSeq, AltaVista, Excite, Go.com, all these web crawler, all these search engines. Now it's all about Google, Google, Google. It's a lot more competitive. You know, The volume of websites and web pages on the internet has grown by an infinite amount. Um, the good thing is the tools that go along with that for building websites and web businesses have evolved massively as well. Back when we were starting off and rebuilding the website in 2000, we had to build our own shopping cart. We had to build our own e-commerce system, sales system. We had to build our own email autoresponders software. We had to build our own content management system. Now you get WordPress for free. You... Uh, Get all these tools you need on a subscription basis for 19 or $20 a month. Um, hosting is dirt, dirt cheap thanks to Amazon. You're no longer paying thousands of dollars for each dedicated server or drag space. You're not paying 3 or $4 per gigabyte of bandwidth transfer. So it's become a lot easier and quicker to get started than it was in the old day- days, but it's also a lot more competitive. The barrier to entry, the cost entry into this space has dramatically decreased over the years. Um, and competitive uh, competitiveness, the the saturation in the markets has obviously increased. 
Um, when you first started out with SitePoint and developing this, you know, now a very, very rich resource, but back in that day, uh, what were some of the fundamental pieces that were at your fingertips, meaning people, assets, money, um, to get that started and to, to really, what were some of the things that really made it start to prop up? Um, the timing was really impeccable. And after that, it just came down to publishing quality content and having it picked up by the search engines. I launched a forum using vBulletin software back in 1998 or 1999. So very shortly after the site launch, which became really, really popular because everyone wanted to chat and talk to each other and learn from each other. Started collecting email addresses very early on, started an email newsletter, which became quite successful. I wrote the first 300 or 400 issues every week wow. um, for seven or eight years, which was uh, quite an undertaking. And I just made the site really personable. I was very accessible. I answered every single email that people sent to me. Um, the homepage of Webmaster Resources was basically a blog before blogs existed. I wrote about my day, what was coming up, what was working, what wasn't working. Um, it was very personal and people could relate to me. So whenever I send out an email newsletter, for example, even if it only had twenty or 30,000 subscribers, I'd get back hundreds of replies. Um, it's very different now because we're a big corporation and people don't relate to people behind the company as much as they did back then when it was just me doing everything by myself. When you say a big corporation, can you give me a, just a scope of um, – so I guess before I ask this question, Webmaster Resources, has that blended into SitePoint at this point? That's right. In the fall of 1999, the business was really growing by leaps and bounds. And I was still in high school. I was answering emails in the mornings, selling advertising at lunch at the local Starbucks and coming home in the evenings and working my ass off till 11 p.m. or midnight and then starting it all over again uh, for going all weekends and holidays and all that. So I had an offer to sell Webmaster Resources back in 1999 and I was having too much fun with the business. I was curious where I could take it, and I decided to partner up with uh, someone to take it to the next level, and that person was named Har- Mark Harbottle. He was the internet marketing manager at an internet company in Melbourne, Australia, which I got in public on a stock exchange. Um, Mark was their fourth or fifth employee, and he saw a company go public and start hiring hundreds and thousands of people, and the entire culture changed. It was no longer a fun startup environment. But Mark, you know, having marketed and sold HTML things software for a few years, was very familiar with this space, with dealing with webmasters, web developers, web designers. He saw what I had created and uh, decided it would be a good jumping off point for, you know, bigger and greater business. Um, so in the fall of 1999, I flew down to Melbourne, Australia with my mom in tow. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16 years old at the time, I think, and Mark was 26. And uh, we shook hands, incorporated the company, basically put up $10,000 or something to get it off the ground. And uh, one of the first projects that we undertook was rebranding the website. Webmaster Resources actually had a hyphen in the domain name, and we didn't own the unhyphenated version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we knew it wasn't a good brand going forward. So Mark was actually the guy who came up with the name SitePoint. He was driving along on a freeway in Melbourne, Australia, and he saw a billboard ad for CarPoint, which was a Microsoft website about cars. And uh, he came home, typed in sitepoint.com and network solutions, who is search, and turned out that the domain name had just expired a couple days prior and hadn't been renewed. So he jumped on top of it and picked it up. Um, and we got the name. And then we hired an independent web design firm to build out the redesigned website, build out the content management system. And uh, 
we relaunched in March of 2000 at SitePoint.com. That's pretty interesting. I mean, to to take your take a big chance, I guess, like that to to go down there and it was only so you you put in ten thousand dollars to start it off yourself and partner with Mark. Yeah, and he put in money as well. Okay, and so that was my next question too. Was being so young, you know, you hear a lot of people to say that you know nowadays, I guess, to see somebody come in at sixteen or seventeen, maybe even eighteen, and be very very successful is almost a norm or pretty close to it. Yep. Mark Zuckerberg is younger than me. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And you know what? What happens is you would just wonder, like, how do they get the knowledge that they did? Not just to build the software and have the idea, but also to be able to do all the things to start the business right and to do all the fundamental things it takes to really create a business underneath this great design or underneath this great idea. And that was one question I had, but you kind of answered in that in that uh, that stint there. So. Um, so you you partnered with Mark to take it from Webmaster Resources to SitePoint. Actually, form and we actually formed a real corporation in Melbourne, Australia. And Mark was working on it part time initially, working alongside the web design firm to get the rebranding happening and the redesign and the content management system built. But about six months into it, he quit his job full time and came on board, started collecting a salary alongside me. Um, so, so we've got SitePoint and it's, it's going and you're working your butt off, you're blogging before it was blogging, you've got forums that are collecting more and more people and you're producing a newsletter every week. Um, you know, how long did you keep that up before you grew the team to a certain point and, and what is the, the people count right now at SitePoint? I think SitePoint is up to 25 people right now, but across all our businesses we're at 80 people plus, I think, something like that. Um, we start. We opened the office for SitePoint in the summer of 2000, so not about nine months after we incorporated the business and about six months after Mark quit his job. I actually flew down to Melbourne, Australia and spent two and a half or three months living in Melbourne um, and working in our office. I was 16 years old at the time. All my friends were off at the beach drinking and partying, and I was uh, down in Melbourne hiring people. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you look back at that time at all and... Um you know, think that, you know, this, I mean, obviously you, you, you won't go back and redo this because it was the right choice, but do you ever wish that uh, you had more of a childhood or that you were less of a hard worker and less business when you were younger at that age? No regrets. No regrets. No regrets. I'm just, I'm just uh, amazed that my parents let me follow through and live in Melbourne, Australia by myself when I was 16 years old. And it uh, brings on a lot of maturity at a very, very young age, forces you to grow up quickly and learn some stuff. But it was a fantastic life experience. Well, and I guess now you get to, because you have a lot more um, funds available to you, so you can actually kind of relive your childhood at some point. I mean, maybe not do an Adam Sandler, but something fun like that. Definitely. So we also have 99designs, and we also have Flippa to talk about, but I think the first one that came about was 99designs. And rather than just jump into that story, um, I want to talk about uh, forums, really, because I think that uh, the reason why I want to talk about it in this direction is because the other day I was talking to my girlfriend, and I said the word form, like a web form, but she thought I said forum, and she said, oh, do, do people use those these days? Aren't those old and dead? And I said, well, they're, they have very specific use cases, so it, it kind of depends on how you're using them. But it had dawned on me that forums were the very first kind of social networks. They were your own little cliques. They were propped up around certain ideas and certain types of people, but they were the first entry, I guess, into what we would call social networks these days. Would you agree? Absolutely. And 
at the time when when Slate Point kicked off its forums, what was the direction and and how organized was this uh, the forums that you propped up? I was very fortunate that uh, people really felt passionate about what I was doing with education for web developers and web designers. So I had a couple of people in the early days, like Eric Jones and Wayne, who jumped in and became moderators and administrators for the forums and really helped me run things without really any compensation um, back in those days. So it was, it, was really, it was really an organic community thing. The thing to know about forums is the forums are never really yours, they're your communities. And they, they take ownership of it, and uh, they, get, they can get very upset depending on what you do with it and what direction you choose to take it in. And is there, is there any specific way that you should run a forum, or is there any advice that you can give to today's businesses? Like, if you go out to a lot of the major websites, like Twitter doesn't have a forum. What do they have? Yeah. Uh, Facebook doesn't have a forum. They have, I guess, Facebook. Um, no other companies out there are really leveraging forums like SitePoint had done. Is there is there something they're missing nowadays with what these things can do for their businesses? I think the times for forums have passed, just like email discussion lists used to be really popular and now they've passed. So uh, forums now have been overtaken by Facebook and Q&A sites like Quora and Stack Overflow, etc. I probably wouldn't be starting a forum these days as a business. Um, does that mean that at some point SitePoint will get rid of theirs or... You keep it I mean, there's still, there's still value in it, and there's not a lot of overhead involved in running it. But in terms of growth, I don't think there's much growth that's going to happen in the future. The majority of people on the internet have never registered for a forum. But there's definitely some you know, niche communities. You know, Flyer Talk is incredibly successful, very active. 4chan is a very active forum with some uh, pretty interesting characters, so on and so forth. But um, the number of web businesses that integrate forms into their business model is definitely on the decline, and that trend will not be reversed anytime soon. Speaking of active forums, um, as I understand, the the really the crux of 99designs was formed around a very popular forum for uh, for basically saying, hey, I have, I have an idea for a logo, or I have a business I'm starting, I need a logo design, that's why I want to take a shot at this. That's right. We had a forum called Design Contests back in 2005 and 2006. And what would happen is business owners and entrepreneurs and bloggers would come in, post a discussion thread saying, I need a new logo for my new blog. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. Here's how much money I'm offering. And then designers all over the world would reply to this discussion thread basically and attach their design concepts. And hopefully after a few days or a few weeks, one of the uh, designers would get picked as the winner and paid out. Unfortunately, that didn't always happen, and it became quite a moderation headache for us. So we decided to basically see whether or not there was any money in this, and we did that by hacking together a PayPal button and charging people $10 to start a forum thread in this specific section of the SitePoint forums in order to post their uh, design request. And the theory behind this was that we would be able to get rid of all the people who are not serious. And by not serious, I mean people who would post design contests and then never come back in the discussion thread, never award a winning designer, never provide any feedback, not pay the designer on time, so on and so forth. We thought, you know, getting 10 bucks off of someone before all these designers do all this work would eliminate a lot of the problems and certainly did. But rather than just killing the volume of design projects posted, it actually increased the volume of design projects posted. And we have it quickly became one of the most popular sections on SitePoint, started drawing enormous amounts of page views and traffic and actually started generating some substantial revenue for us just from these ten dollar listing fees. 
Um, so we thought to ourselves, you know, this form thread design contest model is fundamentally quite ugly. Well, if we build some basic software around this idea of design contests to formalize it, smooth the workflow, provide a better user experience. So my business partner, one designer, one developer locked themselves in a conference room for what we call a doghouse project. Basically, they drop everything else they're doing and they're just locked in this conference room until this project gets done and they create a minimum viable product with a minimal feature set, um, just, you know, first version out the door. And uh, they created this product in six weeks. We launched a design contest tab on SitePoint across the entire website to give it more attention. Before that, it was just hidden in the forms. Um, and we doubled the listing price to $20 to post a design, a request for design work. And the volume of design work continued to increase and increase and increase. And all of a sudden, we started seeing really mainstream businesses using us. All of a sudden, it wasn't just bloggers and website owners seeking logos, but we had realtors and plumbers and coffee shop owners and spas, um, legitimate small world businesses uh, finding us and using our service. Um, and we thought we were onto something because the first thing a small business owner would see when they came to SitePoint.com was probably an article about JavaScript or PHP. The design contest thing was not all intuitive. It was pretty hidden away. Um, but people were finding us without any advertising and any marketing just told us that there was this really strong word of mouth happening. Um, and the concept was really, really powerful. The idea of seeing dozens and dozens of different designs created specifically for you for a price that you set up front was incredibly appealing. Um, and we knew that would, in order to build a real company, it would have to spin it off as its own brand name because SitePoint was all about education for web designers and web developers. SitePoint did not stand for outsourcing graphic design services for small business owners. Um, so in late 2007, my business partner and a couple of our developers, Paul and Lachlan, basically started working on the next iteration of this design contest model. Uh, and we chose the name 99designs and launched in early 2008 with a, new brand, with a new brand name. And we also doubled the listing price again to $40. And then it just really took off. It was much easier to use, much easier to understand. It wasn't hidden as a tab on SitePoint among all these other features and content and forums, etc. Um, and it, it just took on a life of its own. So what's been the, the core reaction from the community? What's, what's some of the good things you've heard about the launch of 99designs? And what are some of the bad things you've heard about uh, the launch of, of this product for you? The spinoff was entirely successful. We had almost no negative feedback at all from anyone. Everyone loved it. And most people these days don't even realize that SitePoint and 99design started off um, when in the same spot. I think that's one of the most um, interesting pieces of this. That's why I wanted to ask you about forums and how they relate to today's uh, businesses starting websites and um, different web services and brands and stuff like that and how they relate to today. That primarily two of the core businesses that continue to run side by side with SitePoint and other companies you founded, you know, fundamentally started as really, really popular forum sections. That's right. I think it's very natural when you get a large group of people, like-minded individuals, that eventually they want to start doing business with each other and transacting. And um, it started happening in the forums, and we just built proper marketplaces around it and monetized it properly and built in all the tools and software to really smooth the workflow and put trust in place so people feel comfortable in dealing with each other. And at what point did... Um 
did Flippa come around? I think this was about a year ago you, you launched this web service? We launched Flippa in June of 2009, so about a year and a half after 99designs. Unfortunately, the reaction was the exact opposite of what happened with 99designs. People hated Flippa, they hated the brand name, they hated the design of the site, they hated the interface, they hated the color scheme, and most importantly, they hated the pricing model. When we launched Flippa, we actually went from a flat listing fee to a traditional commission structure whereby someone successfully sells their website, we take a 5% cut for ourselves, which in my opinion is quite small compared to the domain name marketplaces, which take 10% for domain name sales. But nonetheless, we had a massive community outrage. Um, there's still forum threads on SitePoint that you can look up where 300, 400, 500 people tell us to roll back the changes that they're never going to do business with, with, with us again, that we're complete failures and idiots and that we ruined a good thing. Um, it, was, it was very, very tough to take because we had spent a great deal of time, effort and money into building out Flippa.com. And look, a lot of the feedback they gave us was legitimate and we worked quickly to iterate and implement their feedback and suggestions. But the one thing that we stuck to our guns on was the pricing model. We knew that in order to build a real marketplace, we had to align our interests with the interests of the sellers, which means if they sell a website for $10,000, we get 5% of that. Um, otherwise, if we just maintained the flat listing fee, it would never become a really big profitable business. And we were willing to li- risk losing a small business owner to build a really big business. And what are some of the more prominent, most well-known uh, domain or website sales that happened on Flippa? Um, probably the most prominent was retweet.com, which sold for $250,000. We've had some private sales that occurred um, for three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. But really, Flippa is just about a whole lot of lower price listings going through, and particularly listings for websites with traffic and revenue. These businesses are these websites are essentially micro businesses that um, have very little in terms of liquidity. You can't hire an investment banker. You can't hire a business broker to sell a blog that's making five hundred dollars a month through Google AdSense and gets fifty thousand unique visitors per month. Yet there's some real strong residual value in that asset, and Flippa helps people realize the value for that website and we have like a 60% sell through rate so 6 and 10 websites like I post on Flippa end up being purchased by someone that's a, this is a pretty unique thing I mean I guess the when you zoom out from these two particular uh, properties aside from SitePoint I mean they're, they're marketplaces you create a marketplace for an economy to, to start taking place and the next thing you know you've got uh, you know you can essentially be the center of the world and I think that Whenever you hear about design contests, you know you immediately think 99designs, and if you think about website sales, you almost immediately think about Flippa. Um, but you'd mentioned there that, that you got some negative feedback right away about Flippa. Um, how did that impact, I guess, the, the evolution of this product as it was, and were you really surprised? Were you guys like, oh, man, that sucks. We did so good with 99designs with that launch, and everybody loved it. But we get bashed around here. How did you deal with the backlash? It was an absolute surprise. And basically, I just spent days and days reading through all the forum threads and blog posts and comments bashing us. I tried to respond to as many of them as I could personally. And when they offered valid feedback, then we implemented that feedback as quickly as possible. But the one thing we didn't move on was the pricing. Um Prior to the launch of Flippa, people were regularly selling websites for $50,000, $100,000. All they would pay us was a $40 listing fee. 
So we weren't really capturing even a tiny fraction of the value that we were creating. Um, and the idea behind Flippa was to change that and align our interests with the interests of the sellers. I mean, we don't get paid for the most part aside from a small listing fee unless their website sells through successfully. So the fact that we wanted to charge people when we successfully sold their asset and the fact that people were upset about that kind of was quite startling. What were some of the things that people asked uh, about that you were able to iterate quickly on? They asked all sorts of feature changes, search changes, um, changes to our invoicing system, you know, whether we would invoice people. Uh, I think we had $10 invoice minimum, and then we changed to $5 invoice minimum. We implemented a dispute system. So if you sold a website and the uh, winning bidder didn't pay you, then you could dispute the invoice and we'd waive our success fee. Stuff like that was implemented quite quickly after the launch. We were basically rolling out new changes and iterations on a daily basis and documenting them all on our blog in June and July and August. And when I look at uh, Flippa versus 99designs, I, I think that either you hired a different designer or one gets less attention. Which is it? It's completely separate teams and they're completely separate companies. So whenever we do a spin-off, we actually incorporate a separate business and we fund ourselves by putting cash into the bank account and we put a team in place that works for that particular business entity um so there's no overlap it's very very clean how do you deal with um you know considering i mean that makes sense totally from a business standpoint but from a branding standpoint how do you maintain i guess is or is it even important to you to maintain the fact that you know slight point is kind of the center or the first company that kind of propped up and 99designs is a spinoff of something that came from SitePoint forums, and then the same with Flippa. Is it is it even important to you to maintain uh, a brand consistency across those different properties? No, it's not important at all. In fact, I think it could work to the detriment of those businesses for the same reason that Toyota launched the Lexus brand to go into the luxury market. When you buy a Lexus, you don't really want to think about the fact that you're really buying a Toyota. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good. Valid point. Valid point. So uh, some of the people on SitePoint, for example, oppose the 99designs business model and they think that spec work and the pricing that we offer for graphic design services is unfair to the industry and devalues their work. So the fact that it's a separate business actually makes a great deal of sense from that standpoint as well. You know, when I, when I look at uh, building businesses like this and when I get brought on to a new team, uh, like my primary uh, talent resource other than speaking into a mic and running a podcast is uh, doing front-end design work. Um, but I often get pulled into doing different things like advising on how the company's built, how the product's designed, how the product's developed. Um, and one of the, th- the, the challenges I think anybody has when building any type of profitable business is recruiting talent. And yep. having had the, the success you had early on and having had the success you've had with 99designs and Flippa and uh, the many other things I'm sure you will do in the future – you have to recruit some talent. Is there any feedback you can give us on the things you've done or the things you've learned in and around recruiting quality staff? It's incredibly difficult. Just to give you an idea, for 99designs, we currently have 12 recruiters working uh, for us, <laughs> trying to find people in our Melbourne office in terms of developers and programmers. It's very, very tough. 12 to recruiters? Yeah. <laughs> Just for one? Yeah. Wow. They're not, they're not employees, they're not full-time employees, but like 12 agencies are, are searching for employees on our behalf. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a tough thing, I think, especially as more and more people start to 
look at the the internet and the web as a, as an economy resource or as a you know an income resource for starting businesses, more entrepreneurs, more startups happen. I think that uh, you know that starts to saturate the market with more and more places to work, and unless we start to um, develop more and more talented resources, that uh, the the demand versus supply um, starts to get you know, pretty badly skewed, and it gets really really tough to to pull in people. So do you end up paying people a lot more money than you should when you actually bring them on as as full time employees? There's definitely been a lot of salary creep in the last five years, and uh, one of the reasons we ninety nine designs actually took funding is because I opened an office in San Francisco in October of two thousand eight, and Having funding, especially from a big brand like Excel Partners, which is basically the number one VC firm in Silicon Valley right now because they invested in Groupon and Facebook and AdMob and Dropbox and all these other big successful brands is that we, it would enable us to gain credibility with potential people we're looking to hire and recruit. Hmm, that was that was actually pretty recently then, huh? Yes. Wow, I didn't even see that part of the news. That's, that's pretty crazy. So this is actually the one thing that you've started that, that took on any funding at all. That's right. And it was primarily because of salary bloat or just salary increases over the years. I was to attract talent in San Francisco and it was really to scale the business as well. We had proven out the 99 designs model and worked for designers. It works for customers. We had uh, built a very high volume of work going through the marketplace on a monthly basis. We're paying our designers about a million dollars a month. And, uh, Really, the next step was to scale the business up as quickly as possible and gain market share. And we've done very, very, very little marketing for 99design since we launched it three years ago. So we knew that it was time to invest in marketing, hiring people, uh, doing media buying, etc. And a lot of the money that we raised from Excel partners will go towards that. So what are some of the upcoming horizon, nobody knows kind of things happening for 99designs in terms of this new funding? Our competitors copy us like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing. They copy our taglines and everything. Word for word, they copy our landing pages. Our AdWords copy, it's pretty funny. Um, so I'm going to be tight-lipped about what's coming up. But we definitely have a very strong product roadmap for the next two years. And we're aggressively hiring marketing and development talent, both in Melbourne and in San Francisco, to execute upon that vision. And the idea is basically to become synonymous with graphic design in the small business space. What do you do when you hear uh, – and the only reason I'm asking this question is because I uh, – before we got on this call, I tweeted the fact that I was going to have a quick call with you and ask for some feedback. And one of my uh, followers, uh, Jake Stutzman, is actually a designer himself, and he has a question, which is how do you feel about sites like 99designs degrading the value of work in our industry and the industry he's talking about is the design industry? I think it's pretty amazing that the graphic design industry hasn't been disrupted until this point. Um, most most businesses, most services business have been touched by the internet in one way or another. I stock photos, allowed people to sell stock photography for a dollar rather than paying hundreds or thousands of dollars in licensing fees. Expedia allowed people to book their own travel rather than paying a hundred dollars or more in commissions to a local travel agent. E-Trade allowed people to trade stocks for 10 bucks. 
um, rather than paying 99 bucks to call in a trade with a stockbroker at a big uh, institution. So 99designs is really about making graphic design much more accessible to small business owners. And in many cases, businesses that we're dealing with are micro-businesses, sole entrepreneurs with minuscule budgets. The sort of clients that freelance designers probably are unable to serve effectively and cost-efficiently. And that's really the market that we're going after. I think if you're a talented graphic designer, you work with big brands, big agencies, people who need a lot of hand-holding, people who want to see 5, 10, 20-page documents justifying your design work and your thesis as to why the logo has this many swirls in it. <laughs> um, and you know, there's always going to be clients for that sort of work, but 99designs doesn't play in that space. And we have designers in-house. We're hiring more designers in-house. Uh, I mean, it's it, the level of graphic design services that 99designs provides is largely utilitarian. It's for small businesses that are started up and bootstrapped on tight budgets for the most part. And it doesn't make sense for a small business to spend $2,000, $5,000, $10,000 a logo and to spend dozens of hours interfacing with different designers and agencies, reviewing portfolios, getting codes, going into meetings, when really they need to be focused on their product and getting clients and sales in the door. I, actually, I just want to ask you a question about the, the staff of 99designs. So um, as I understood it before, I think this may have changed and you could probably explain this to us, obviously, since when I asked this question. But um, you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of designers on staff now. I, I was under the impression that um, more of the designers were actually just part of the community, so it was community driven. We have designers on staff to design for ninety nine designs. They don't actually do client work. So we have one hundred and five thousand designers who have submitted designs through our design community. But then we also have several designers in house that work for ninety nine designs, designing our features, user interface, landing pages, email newsletters, etc. Okay, so the the staff then doesn't design for the contest that happened on ninety nine designs. That actually they actually service ninety nine designs as a brand and its marketing and its landing pages and its its concept and com- continue to build the website and stuff like that. Absolutely, right? and that's why. The great designers are in huge demand in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. So I don't think we're devaluing high-end design in any way, sense, or form. The sort of design work the 99designs the company needs couldn't be outsourced to 99designs on an ongoing basis. It just doesn't make sense, and we're too big for that. So obviously you've done a lot of fun, successful things over the past 11 years. Um, I, I guess the, the one thing that comes to mind is the fact that you've got this knack for doing things and doing things well, either choosing good business partners or choosing good business models or choosing good businesses in general, um, I've got to imagine that you're either toying with the idea or thinking about the idea of getting into angel funding or being an advisor to other companies starting out. Um, you know, What is your situation in, in terms of being an angel or being an advisor to small businesses or startups? I'm definitely open to opportunities around advising to startups, particularly marketplace-based startups and areas where I think I can add value. In terms of angel investing, I think we're in a bit of a bubble right now and it's super competitive. And unless you spend a great deal of time and effort diversifying across dozens of investments, most angel investors will end up uh, losing a lot of money over the next five to ten years. Um, there's a lot of liquidity and a lot of money chasing very few good deals right now. So when you say you, you're open to being an advisor, um, does anybody know this? Is this the first time you say, you're saying this publicly? 
think it's probably the first time I've said publicly, but I've spoken to several companies already about advise, taking on advisory roles. And so if there's um, uh, this podcast is on the five by five network, so we have uh, you know a pretty decent um, audience out there listening to this podcast, and hopefully this one in particular. If not, then they're not listening to me say that. But um, <laughs> that'd be kind of redundant to even say it in the first place. But um, for those that are listening that are looking at marketplace type businesses. Um, what's the best way they could reach out to you to get that kind of advice or to open that door with you? You could certainly email me, matt at 99designs.com, but the best way would be to figure out a way to meet me in person or get an introduction through someone I know. And I imagine you're probably on LinkedIn or uh, any any upcoming conferences that you're going to be at? Yeah, I'm going to be at Affiliate Summit in New York in August. That's the next one. Okay. And then probably PubCon in Las Vegas in November. I'm also going to be at Founders in Dublin, Ireland um, in October. So quite a few. Quite a few. Okay, great. Do you do you publish a blog by yourself? I have a blog under mattmitskevich.com, but basically it just links to various interviews and news stories about me or my companies. I was going to suggest that maybe you can put a blog post together about some of the upcoming conferences you're going to be at because that's, that's exciting to me because I think that you know one of the reasons why I do this show and, and have people on this show like you is um is because of you know the success you've had, but you know we didn't get to ask you any questions about the fails besides more or less the the negative feedback and the backlash you got uh, around Flippa. But um, you know I, I like to talk to people about what they do, and and you're so successful with this, and I think you've got a real knack for marketplaces. So when you said that that, that I've got actually a couple of people that I'm going to tell to contact you because they need to talk to you. <laughs> Sounds like I'll be busy. <laughs> there, there you go. So uh, I might actually uh, be able to employ you separately for that and start a whole different business. But <laughs> so um, aside from all that, Matt, I know you've you've had a lot of fun doing some fun stuff. We've talked about some uh, secretive upcoming things for Ninety Nine Designs that we can't really talk about because you've got very vicious um, competitors copying you in many many ways, and I appreciate you giving anything that you can away about what you're up to, but I understand why you can't in that specific reason. But aside from 99designs, uh, maybe yourself, SitePoint, Flippa, or any new ventures you're getting into, is there anything that's upcoming on the near horizon for you that no one knows about that you could talk about here today? Um, the new business that we have that most people probably haven't heard about yet is called learnable.com. And it's a marketplace that allows anyone to create and sell access to an online course. So if you're knowledgeable about yoga, exercise, gardening, wine tasting, or you know teaching Spanish, you can go on learnable.com and we help you create a course and sell access to that course through our platform. So we basically allow anyone to become an educator and a teacher. This is interesting. So this is pretty much open to anybody. That's right. So I, I love this, how you're disrupting markets. I mean, first it was just learning in general for the web community, and that wasn't more of a disruption. It was more of a creation. And then you disrupted the, the model of design, and then you disrupted the model of selling websites. Now you're disrupting the education business. Do you think um, – where do you see some of the education happening? Obviously, in the in the web community, you see a lot of um, – great CS programs in, in universities and in colleges and stuff, but fundamental front-end web design or back-end design, there's a lot of things that can't be or aren't really taught in colleges. And is this a place that places that people like this can flock to to sell that kind of information? Absolutely. Actually, one of the reasons why we started is because what colleges and universities teach is so damn outdated. The process for getting a book or a, a 
course curriculum approved is quite lengthy and arduous and the technology changes so fast that basically students are being forced to learn one thing one way in order to pass their class and then when they get out in the marketplace and start working for a company like SitePoint 99 Designs or Flippa they have to relearn everything and to do it properly. I mean there's still colleges out there teaching people to use tables for layout and they don't talk about all the new web browsers and web standards and accessibility there's so much stuff happening HTML5 etc I mean, um, the education system can't really keep up, but with learnable sort of bridging that gap, someone can create a course in one or two weeks, and uh, someone can then take that course and get up to speed on whatever else is happening in the industry very, very quickly and without ever having to pick up a book. This is a this is a very interesting. I I actually stumbled onto a different website. I think it's called Skillshare that was similar, and I, I didn't know about Learnable, but it seems like these are this is a another place where more and more people are probably flocking to to allow people to share and create educational curriculums, whether they're very um, well organized or just simple one-offs like how to you know teach yoga or maybe a couple courses on how to speak a certain language or just pointers on how to build a landing page something something that's uh, that isn't exactly like a college curriculum but something that's interesting and maybe just five or ten people show up for for the class or whatever. Exactly. It's basically casual education, and we look at Learnable as a replacement for books. Book sales have been declining year over year for a long, long time. There's a strong shift towards video content, and Learnable really fills that gap and makes it simple for anybody who's knowledgeable with any topic to publish a course and start selling it. And it's, a lot of the early adopters of Learnable have been bloggers. So there's lots of bloggers about all sorts of niche topics. For the most part, these people um, aren't doing a very good job of monetizing their audience and their following. So Learnable bridges that gap and allows them to create a product that they can sell to their readers. That's yeah. This is a this is certainly an interesting interesting space to be in. I'm really curious to see where Learnable does go. Um, but as we close, is there any any feedback or any good advice that you can give to today's entrepreneur that uh, is something you wish you knew back when you started or maybe even five years ago? I think the most important thing that we've followed all along the way is this idea of building a minimum viable product and not over-investing in an idea before we know whether or not it will work and then just being really quick on our feet and iterating based on customer feedback. Some of the biggest breakthroughs from 99designs and Flippa and SitePoint just came from listening to what our community wanted and responding um, but we never invested ahead of the curve. We were always quite conservative. So, you know, going from a free forum to charging people $10 to post a listing to building basic software in just six weeks' time, doubling the price to $20, only when we were seeing traction, then creating the new brand. It was very methodical, very step-by-step, very low risk. We were always asking ourselves, what's the cheapest way to figure out whether or not we're right without losing a lot of money? So one of the biggest tragedies in uh, entrepreneurship is when people spend months or years of their lives and hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a product or an idea that no one cares about and no one wants to use. Yeah, the whole waterfall approach is is certainly outdated and and probably well overused. I think the iterative process, like you just mentioned, is certainly more appealing to today's entrepreneurs. Getting, I mean, things are moving so fast uh, these days. Like you, you know it yourself, being in as a marketplace developer that. Um, you know, you have an idea and you think it's great and you turn on the news the next day and you're like, oh, well, there's my idea on the big screen and somebody else has done it already and they're doing it very successfully. So I was right, but not fast enough. 
Exactly. I can basically test any idea for a web service with less than $500 by printing up a landing page describing the features and then having an email form field that says sign up for beta and then just track the conversion rate. Is that the way you would you would primarily advise, uh, I guess, proving the concept on most ideas? If you have absolutely no money, that's where I would start. But if you have the idea to build a basic prototype model, even if it's very manual on the back end, then do that. Um, like I said, one of the big changes between now and 1999 is, is just the cost of everything has gone down so dramatically. There's so many off-the-shelf tools and services to automate very to automate the most common web tasks. Ruby on Rails makes it simpler and easier than ever to build really powerful web applications um, as compared to PHP back then. So it's uh, if you have the ability to create a basic prototype, even if it's embarrassing to show to your grandma that you should do it and get it out there and see what how people use it well matt i, I know that i've had fun uh having a good conversation with you but i know that you're busy so I'll, I'll i'll let you go but thanks so much for everything you've done for the community with SitePoint and being an entrepreneur and you know i guess giving up a moment of your childhood to to build businesses and tell your parents i said thanks for for allowing you to go to, to melbourne and live there for a while and start a business and all the fun stuff you've done uh, in and around the marketplace space. It's, it's been great talking to you, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. 